dear God, we're thankful that you have given us a promise in your word that you bring healing to our lives when we seek you. We choose that and we ask that the Holy Spirit will be with us to impress upon our minds that which we can use in our lives to further ourselves in the time of pro that you've given us, our probationary time, that we can be more like you and have a wholeness that we had never before in thy name. Amen. Good afternoon, everyone. It's a blessing to be here again uh, to talk about God's healing in our lives. And I would like to just remind you about, about this text from the scripture that goes in line with what we've been talking about in terms of how our brain is wired. And I told you that how, you know, whatever the way we think, uh, whatever the way we feel, it has a way of creating uh, memories in our brain in such a way that it grows like a what? Root. Yeah. So really, our brain looks more like a tree, you know? And uh, the Bible says that, that we are the tree that's supposed to be planted by the what? Living water. Isn't that amazing? And because so that we can be what? Rooted you know, deeply as we continue to get nourished well. Mm -hmm. So we need daily nourishing, daily nurturing through sunshine and water and everything. So his delight is in the law of the law, law of the Lord. The law here is uh, Torah, which is the teachings of God, entire Bible, right? And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a what, tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does, what? Prospers. Amen? Amen. How many of you desire to be like a tree planted by the streams of living water? Amen? Yeah. Amen. Amen. And that's what we desire. You see, God's, God's plan for all of us, we may go through suffering and we may go through hardship in our lives. God's plan for all of us is to prosper and be fruitful in our lives. Amen? Yeah. God wants our life to be fruitful in a way that, you know, you, you, uh, you just plant one seed and then how much fruit you can get. I mean, it's just endless, right? And God wants our lives to be prosperous and be fruitful in Him in that way. And as much as there has been hurt and woundedness in our lives, God's healing power is always greater than the woundedness. Amen? It is greater. It is greater. Mm -hmm. And we're going to talk about it today in that, you know, you're going to be just amazed. At the end of the day, you'll be jumping for joy and you'll be dancing well, no, no, in the Lord. <laughs> I need to contextualize it. <laughs> You know what I mean? People are dancing outside of church for no reason, but we have reason to dance. Amen? Amen. Okay. And you need to, uh, you need to hear what I'm trying to say, okay? Don't quote me for it in a different way. And then let's so go to our, tech, our study today. Yesterday, we weren't able to finish our study yesterday, so we're going to continue our study today. And actually, this concept that I'm about to share, which I already shared before, this concept about how self gets formated. 
In other words, formation of self, how the self is formed is such an important insight for me and it helps me to understand how important we are to one another. Amen? Because, because I cannot discover who I am without you. Can you imagine me doing a, you know, doing a seminar here with nobody here except me? Unless I'm broadcasting. <laughs> you know, I'm excited doing it for myself, by myself. Then you would come in and think that I'm kind of what? You know what I mean? So there is no seminar going without what? Audience. There is no per pastor. There is no such identity as a pastor without what? Having parishional, right? There is no father without children. There is no children without parents. Even the orphans have what? Once had parents. In other words, there is no way that you and I can find our own self-identity identity without being in the context of relationship. You define me who I am. I need you to define me who I am. I need you to build me up. As much as I've been wounded by you, sorry, <laughs> or as much as you've been wounded by me, right? I told you yesterday there are two kinds of hurts, right? You remember two kinds of hurts? One is the hurt that you, you feel because of you being what? You've been violated. Hurt that you receive. And there's a second level of hurt. Is the hurt that you experience as you experience the hurt that you render or cause in the lives of other people, which is a, a more mature kind of hurt. Second one, right? And if you and I are hurt enough to realize how much I may have been a source of hurt in the lives of other people, that kind of mature hurt will start changing our lives. Amen? You know, a lot of people think that, oh, you know, you don't understand how much I go through to live with this woman, to live with this man. It's full of suffering. But little that person realized, little that person realized how much of a suffering that person, I, in other words, as much as it's difficult for that person to live with the other person, the other person, I'll just end there. <laughs> and so without e we identity, there is no such thing as self-identity. In other words, in other words, this is the important thing. The quality, quality of we identity, almost, I don't like to use the word determine. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because I don't, I, I don't believe in fate, F-A-T-E, right? I believe in fate in Jesus, all right? So quality of we identity, not necessarily determine, affects the quality of what? Self-identity. Pardon? Influences, yes, yes. And so we got to talk about, we got to talk about, we, we, we are, no one is built in vacuum. No one gets to be built in vacuum. Amen? I want you to follow after me. No one gets to be built. I know, I know you feel like a kid, but follow me, follow me, okay? No one gets to be built. No one gets to be built. In vacuum. 
So worst thing we can do to discover ourselves is to what? Is to isolate ourselves. All I need is God. That's not going to work. God says, go back to the community. So where did this whole idea came from? So my old sense of identity, my value, my self-worth, my, even my perspective, even my perception, the way I think, my thought system, the formation of my thought system is affected by the kind of re-identity that we have in our relationship to one another. And therefore, I am responsible for my spouse's health as much as she does to me. It's a corporate thing. Either we grow together or either we grow together or both of us going down the drain together. It's one way or the other. There is no neutral way. Either, either I become a source of blessing. What makes it really tough is that I realize that sometimes I become a source of blessing to my wife and sometimes I become a source of something else. In Korean, there's a word for it. You give sickness as well as you give medicine. <laughs> and we all of us are in that dichotomy. I mean, no one is just, you know, continue to become a complete sense of blessing to someone else. There is no such thing like that. We give and take. However, I want to tell you today that it is very, very important for us to realize that's what Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27 tells us that, that it is we identity that we build that allow us to, um, to have the kind of self-identity that we have, we carry for the rest of our lives. And this is important. This is important. Truth, truth, truth is formed. Truth is formed in the context of re-identity with God, not only with God, but also with one another. In other words, not only I need God and my relationship with Him to discover the truth of who God is and therefore learning who I am. I need to know who God is to know who I am. But then to be able to know who God is, I need also you to help me to discover who God is as well. Why? Because I can see the glimpse of who God is in you. Amen? The best day that ever happened in my life, the best day ever happened in my life in our marriage, after having gone through so much trouble and hardship, and there was a time when, I can be honest with you guys, right? You're not going to report it to somebody else, right? Especially not to your wife. Not to my wife. <laughs> but it's being recorded, so I'm doomed already. <laughs> but anyway, having gone through all the troubles in our marriage, looking back of my 32 years of ministry, and of 32 years of marriage, one thing I can tell you is that much of the illness in our marriage of course, not only stemming from me, but stemming from total ignorance. Either ignorance or stubbornness. And you stubborn being ignorant. 
And not only that, you try to persuade others with your ignorance. Whoa, how does that work? You know what I'm talking about. You know your wife is telling you the truth, but you know what? You can't take it, so you use everything you can to manipulate. Right? Woman has about 40 different kinds of manipulation tactics that they learn starting from Eve. Man only has a couple of them. Man runs out of options pretty fast. But women are like, okay, if it doesn't work, I'll try that one. If that doesn't work, I'll try this one. Let me ask my friends, and they have a few more. And that's why they go to church, to get some ideas. <laughs> some people ask me, how come, Pastor Ram, you do this counseling, you do this marriage seminar, you do this dealing with these people with problems and extreme situations and chaos and all that? How do you do that for the past 20-some years? How do you do that and still continuing it? You know why? Because human stupidity is fascinating. <laughs> If you understand what I'm talking about. And, and human stupidity goes beyond the point of like, you know, being like ugly. And you, when you get to the level where you go really deep into it and figure everything out, then you can almost like laugh. Like. And I think that's how angels been able to endure us. Have you been down there, man? Go down there and see them fighting, man. That's hilarious, hilarious. Hilarious. Because we're fighting each other as to what? Who started first? No, you started. No, you started. You started. So, you know, if I'm Spanish, I don't need to know anything else. Only thing I need to know, uno, 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 uno. <laughs> you started it. I didn't start it. But whoever started the fight, if you fear it to make it even worse, you're contributing big time. I want to tell you something about marriage. And that helps me a lot. If one person goes down, and I was just, just like really depressed and, you know, have this really warp idea about tomorrow, thinking that there is no tomorrow for your relationship. Relationship cannot get any worse than what they have now, right? Woman tends to go deeper well, you know, like, it's like a well, go deep. Man tends to have this, like, optimism and perspective. Long-term rook. <laughs> That's how we think. And so when one person goes down and say, honey, Man, just living with you is hard. It's tough. I don't know if there's any hope for our marriage. I don't know we're not, if you're going to get any better. Then those are not the time. You go down the drain with that person together. Like, hey, honey, do you want to know how I feel? 
No, no, no. That's not the time to do that. When one person go down, goes down, the other person needs to what? Go up and lift this person up. And then if, so, 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 if, uh, if your wife goes down first, then, then you lose your turn. It's not your turn to go down. <laughs> so whoever wants to go down, you got to do it fast. <laughs> like early in the morning, you know what I mean? Yeah, and that's my principle. Whoever goes down first, man, I lose it. I lost that chance. Today I lost it. So I'm going to have to play a role of what? Bringing her up. And that's how you continue saving the marriage. Otherwise, if you go down the drain together, if the one person says it's miserable, the other person says, do you want to know? It's H-something, you know? <laughs> then what? Okay, then, then it's over. Let's finish it. What takes, what's missing, what's missing in growing and prosperous and maturing relationship, what would that be? Can someone answer me? What's missing in a growing relationship? What's missing in a relationship that may not allow them to grow deeper and, you know, into relationship? Surprisingly, that is called hard work. We don't endure enough. You know the story, right? I mean, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. Second marriage can work out great. Third marriage can work out great. I'm not against it. But, you know, there's a guy who says, well, first one, she's not it. Second one, she's not it. And third one, she's not. And then she came to realize, whoa, wow. Comparing all of that, first one was the best. <laughs> I mean, it's not always worked like that. Okay, I'm not, hopefully I'm not you know, offending anybody. So let's go to this one. This is really powerful stuff in that, your relationship with God is there to give us the kind of bonding in that we would be connected and be intimate. In that intimate and connected and bonding relationship, it creates the context for discovering the truth about who God is, and then in turn, it gives us an understanding as to who I am. Who I am is intrinsically related with who God is. Theology is so important. When I was going to theology, theological school, I was bored to tears. So why are we studying all this stuff, Trinity and all that stuff? And then I came, little did I know that after studying psychology and theology and all that, I came to realize that understanding who God is so important, so important, because it helps us to understand who I am, and it determines, affects my perspective and perception. And, and it is in that we identity with God and with one another, we discover the truth of who God is, who I am. Why? Because truth is something, truth is not something that you gain. When Adventist says that I, we've got the truth, that's a wrong, wrong expression. I must challenge. We cannot possess the truth as if it is a thing to possess. Truth is something that you can only become. You can only integrate it. When it becomes part of us, then 
we become the truth. So with that in mind, distortion happens when you and I start being alienated from God. Because once we were with God, so, so when we become alienated from God, then we become void and empty in our lives. Pascal once says that there is a God-shaped vacuum in each, in each and every one of our hearts. Isn't that amazing? That is something that God can only feel. So you and, you and I are alienated from, you know how Adam and Eve were so close to God? God shaped Adam and Eve. And then he came to Adam, he came so close to Adam, and then he ended up what? Breathing on his nose, like, so close, intimate act. Adam was created in that intimate, touching kind of act. And we are created to have that kind of intimacy. You know? I brought my friend here. I, I wish he could be here. His name is Danny. And then he has a, you know, hearing impairment and no one understands him, right? You know, when, when he says something, no one understands. Even for me, I had a hard time understanding him, let alone giving him Bible studies. Really hard. Even conveying one concept takes a couple of hours. But funny thing happened. Amazing thing happened. And then he's overcoming, you know, all kinds of addiction in his life. Grew up in a family where everyone's addicted. Sister, brother, and everyone. Parents and everyone. But I brought him here. He stays with me for the past week and a half. Yesterday night, we just sat down, start talking. And then I found myself understanding Everything he was saying. And not only that, we were just having fun. And I, I got his language. And then we were like talking. We were making fun. And then we were like, he, he ended up saying, I like talking with you. It's so much fun. Oh, wow. I told him that, Danny, I want you to know that there is a black hole in your brain. The hole has been created. That has been the source of void and emptiness in your life. And that can only be filled up by two things. I said, by the word of God. By encountering Jesus. And by this kind of bonding relationship. He said, I love the noodles that you make. Cafeteria food is great, but the noodle that you make is the best. It's because when we are eating noodles, sweating and, you know, being going crazy and getting this, like, uh, you know, you know, blood circulation going, his, his, you know, face is almost like drunk, so fat, so, you know, like, so high on eating things together. And when it creates, when you are in a place of bonding, it feeds our soul in a way that nothing else can. None of us are created to be functional. All of us are created to be relational, to be deeply bonded and deeply in relationship. We're called to be passionate about one another. Passionate about God. Amen? Amen. My wife is far away in California, and I'm here, and I'm making sure, making time to talk to my wife because she feeds me in a way that nobody else can now. 
but it took me 15 years to figure her out. I thought my wife was a high maintenance lady. Because when I first met her, I mean, after we got married, we had kids, and then she came up to me and said, Honey, when was the last time you and I had a heart-to-heart dialogue? I said, what do you mean heart-to-heart? We sleep together, we have three kids together, we eat together, we eat kimchi together. How much more we can be intimate? Little did I know, little did I know, that I had a lot to learn from my wife when it comes to relationship building. She was not being crazy. I was the one who had no clue as to what she was inviting me into. But you know what? I had a hard time listening to my wife. Even though I listened to the whole world, all the women in the world coming to me for counseling, I listened to them, cry with them, enjoy with them. But as soon as my wife opened her mouth, start saying something, can you stop that? You talked about that 10 years ago, 20 years ago. One time I came home and I realized that Holy Spirit talked to me, made me realize, you know what, I need to connect with my wife. I need to listen to her without giving her any advice or trying to fix her because I came from Home Depot so trying to fix things. There was a time I tried to fix my wife, you know, like a couple of years into our marriage and she came up to me and said, Honey, I am so lonely. So I took out a ranch that fixed loneliness. I said, Joe, I'm going to fix you. She got fascinated. I said, Joe, you know how I fixed her? When I think about it, looking back, I was crazy. <laughs> I said, Joe, don't feel lonely. I fixed her. <laughs> and then she goes, honey, that made me feel even more lonelier. And so one night, I came home. She had a lot of issues with me. And I came home, and I decided to wear the counselor's hat going into my house. Frame, prepare my brain to think that I am not talking to my wife. Tonight, I'm talking to a counselee who happens to know me really well. So I went in, and I chose not to say anything, not to rebuttal, not to get in the way, and not to create traffic in our conversation. So I just decided to zip up my mouth and even lock it, and then I'm going to listen. And I started to listen. Man, woman has a way of getting hysterical and get historical too, right? And <laughs> go back down to history line and all that. And she's saying stuff and all that. And then I said, I was about to say something, but I already zipped my mouth. So I couldn't say anything. And then guess what happened? After three years, three hours into conversation, after listening to her soul cry for three years, Three, not three years, not three years. <laughs> three hours seems like three years. <laughs> three hours, it did something to me. It did something to me. 
I finally got connected with her soul. And it was, it was during a time when my wife was really sick. And she was totally exhausted because trying to serve the church, trying to serve as a nurse and go to work and serve, come home and serve, go to church and serve. You know that Martha syndrome? We were doing church, we were planting church and all that. And, and I looked at her and there was a compassion that, that came over, overtook me. And then I held her hands and then I held her hands, let's say, it is her, I held her hands, I look at her eye to eyes, and then this is what I said, it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit is there, you, God can create greatest bonding. And I said, Chuo, and the amazing thing was that my mother died when she was 41, but right when that happened, my wife was 41. I didn't want her to die. I didn't want to repeat my father's history. You know what I'm saying? I didn't want my kids to be orphaned and all that. So, so I held her hands. I was about to cry. And then this is what I said, of course, in Korean. And I'll translate in English. I said, in Korean. I said, 아파도 좋은데 죽지만 말아. Which means, you understood, right? <laughs> which means, honey, it's okay to remain sick. It's okay not to get well, but please, don't die. Don't die on me. Man, when I said that, tears were coming down. I didn't know where it was coming from. <laughs> Streams of water coming out. And then, guess what? Right after... I gave her the permission to remain in sickness. She started to get better. Women are amazing. But I didn't use reverse psychology. <laughs> the, this, the dysfunction and the sickness of this world, what cures the sickness and dysfunction and void and emptiness in all of our lives and addictions in all of our lives and chaos and chaotic thinking and all the distortions in our life? What's going to heal that as much as messy and challenging and, and, and really overwhelming for us to deal with? The healing plan of God is very simple in that when through the power of the Holy Spirit, when you and I are in a place of being connected with God, and in that connection, we learn to connect with one another when there was hurt and dysfunction and dis disconnection, and through the Spirit, we bring connection and oneness and bonding and heart-to-heart -heart and soul-to-soul -soul dialogue, and people begin to be healed. Amen? What the world needs is the bonding that Christ can provide and the bonding that we can experience in Jesus Christ. So let's talk about this deception that Satan began to experience in his heart, in his life, because he was alienated from God, and then in that state of alienation, his thought system began to be warped 
in such a way that when 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 you know Lucifer was the one who rejected God, but he began to distort himself. He began to you know insinuate lies to think that God is the one who rejected him. You see that? We are rejected by God when the truth is that we are the one who rejected him. And ever since we begin to buy into that lie, then we begin to grow these roots of lie, and then we ended up having what? Work perception and wrong interpretation, and then we develop what? Manipulation tactics. Do you know who does manipulate? If you're manipulating, you know what does that tell you? If you're manipulating, you know what does that tell you? That means the powerful people don't manipulate. You're powerful, so you don't have to manipulate. But if you don't have power, and only way that you can control is through what? Manipulation. So if you are in that manipulative state, that goes there to tell you that we lost our sense of power that God has given us. We're trying to resort to something else to control our lives when our lives are uncontrollable. Amen? Amen. Have mercy. Let's talk about you. John 8, 44. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was murdered from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his... What? So, he... he allow himself to buy into this deception so much so that the lies become his what? Native language. I've seen people, whenever they open their mouth, they lie. But they don't even know that they are lying. You know what I mean? It's called self-deception. And that's where Satan is. And then he became the father of what? Father of lies. And we're going to continue that tomorrow about sonship. And what does it say? This is how we've experienced freedom in our lives. Let's read that passage together, everyone. Then you will what? Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free in there. In other words, I mean, just, just briefly mention, truth is son Jesus Christ. Truth is the personhood of Jesus Christ. Truth is something that you internalize and embrace. And therefore, if you are in that relationship with Jesus where we are moved, we are transferred from being a, in a state of slavery, which we talked about yesterday, to a state of sonship. It is in that sonship relationship with Jesus that brings what? Freedom in our life. And slaves don't belong. But son belongs. You know what I mean? So tomorrow we're going to talk about sonship, talk about faith system, talk about the gospel. And, and I just only have so much time. And before we go on today, I'm going to lay down the groundwork in terms of where we are, where we are in terms of our spiritual condition. We've already talked about the fact that all of us are wounded, right? All of us have been damaged, right? You know, all of us have been hurt, in so many different ways, because the way we've been parented, and not that we want to blame on everybody else, but, you know, all of us come into this world incomplete and come into this world broken, you know? And that's the condition that we are. And our spiritual condition 
to understand our spiritual condition, there are two texts that I want to mention, okay? And let's hold on. This is a powerful, powerful message from the Lord. Let's read this passage and talk about our spiritual condition. Are we ready? Okay, spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has what? Anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from what? Darkness for the prisoners. What does this text, this is a very text that Jesus read when he started his earthly journey, right? Earthly ministry. What does this text tell us about our spiritual condition after fall? What does this tell us? Come on. We're broken hearted, broken hearted. All of us have this broken hearted. Why? Because we once been with God. We once had that intimate walk with God. And then we were the one who, you know, ran away from God. So we were alienated from God. The alienation broke, brought broken heartedness and void in our hearts to begin with. And then we continue to promote brokenness in the lives of people. Why? Because the scripture tells us that we belong to Satan. Unfortunately. And so then Satan is the one who feels rejected by God, right? And so since he's feeling rejected by God, his idea of this word and idea of the commandment of God is all crooked in that God is harsh and God is exacting and all the commandment God allow us to keep is impossible for us to follow. And Satan feels miserable. Satan feels miserable. Satan is not happy, very unhappy, very miserable. When someone is miserable, what do you want from other people? When you're miserable, you find somebody who's bubbly and joyous, what does that do to you? Hey, stay away. <laughs> stay away. I don't need that. Misery loves company, right? And so Satan's tactic and goal in life to make everyone feel miserable, to everyone to be distorted, everyone to experience the sense of rejection from the day one in mother's womb to begin with. And he wants everybody going down the drain with him. Have mercy, right? That's what Satan does. And he tells us that we are broken. And then he talks about three things. Since we don't have much time, let's just go on. Luke chapter 4 verse 18 talks about just another piece of information which wasn't there in Isaiah chapter 61, which is really powerful for us to realize. It says, recovery of the what? Sight for the blind. And so with this, I came up with three brokennesses. Three kinds of brokennesses that Bible talks about. This is a divine diagnosis of who we are, who we are without God in our lives. First of all, I use B words. <laughs> I used B word to make it easier for you to understand. So first of all, it says what? Bankrupt. Bank bankruptcy, I'm going to explain, has to do with poverty. And then secondly, what? Bonded. It still talks about captivity and prisoner, and that goes in line with the same idea of being bondaged. We're bondaged. And thirdly, what? We are blinded. So out of these three forms of spiritual condition, which one is a more severe one? Which one is more of a, more of an urgent one? Blinded, right? Why? Because, because we don't even know that we're banker. We don't even know that we're bondage, right? 
Yeah, I had no idea that I was bondage. I had no idea I was poor spiritually. I had no idea that I was broken. I had no idea that I had this like uh, blind spot in my life. And it was until when my mother died at this 41, and she died, and then after a year later, my father wanted to remarry. And that was hard for us. Because I felt like we were betraying our mother. And so, so with our own naiveness, I told my dad not to get married. Because I said, we will take care of you. <laughs> and, then, and then I was influenced by, I was actually influenced by my grandmother, mother's side, grandmother. She said, tell your dad not to get married because we're going to take care of him. And then my father goes, no, I'm going to have to get married because you guys are growing up. You need a mother. You know, in Korean culture back then, there is no dialogue, there is no discussion, only the commands. So I said, I'm getting married. And we became very rebellious because we were already heartbroken by the loss of my mom. You know, like how I experienced the death of my mom was just really, really like unfathomable because she was there. Even when she was in the hospital, she was actually there. And one day, she said, this is what Asian mother does, which I had a hard time understanding. When I went and visited her, she said, honey, son, come near to me. Bring me an Asian pear. Because <laughs> something about Asian mother having to serve you, you know? So I brought her Asian pear, and then and her skin, I mean, she, she was just like a skeleton. No, you know, nothing, just but, but, you know, bones. And she was piercing, you know, peeling off that skin of the, um, you know, pear, Asian pear, which is big. And she gave it to me, eat this. So mother commands you to eat it. You got to eat it. Otherwise, you'll be killed, you know. So, <laughs> so I was like, okay, I ate. I don't know how I ate. I ate. And then after that, she said, son, come closer to me. So by the time I got closer to her, she was already in tears, and she was about to tell me something, and then she said, I'll do it tomorrow. I knew that it was something very important, but she couldn't say it. And next day I went, she was gone. I was like so mad at God and mad at the whole world. I went into the restroom, I was kicking and bumming. I was only hurting you doing that, and I was like, mad. What is it that my mother wanted to tell me? And then finally, you know, we buried her, and then still it didn't hit me that she was gone. You know? And then Sunday we buried her, and then Monday I went to school, and then Monday afternoon I came home, I rang the bell in our house. When you ring the bell, you know, there's an automatic thing that opens from inside. You push the button, opens. And when I rang the bell, the door, I will never forget, just clung open. Nobody was there. When my mom had been always there to receive my back, that hand was gone. And I was devastated. And then my new mom came. Man, she was doing everything she could to earn our affection. 
she even made, okay, this is a secret. I mean, because we grew up not even eating anchovy or nothing, right? We were vegetarian. She came to earn our love. She made, this is a secret, Korean barbecue. And then we were eating Korean barbecue. We were eating Korean barbecue, and yet our hearts were not moved. And then the time came, and I came to realize that, you know what? None of us are calling mom, mom. I said, somebody has to call mom. So I said, I brought all the brother and sister, one brother, one sister. From tonight, I'm going to call her mother. And as soon as I say that, you got to say it before the dinner is over. If you don't, I'm going to kill you guys. <laughs> and then my brother and sister couldn't believe that. Like, no way, no way you're going to do that. No way. I was 17. I was already grown up. It was really awkward, more than awkward. And so now I had my, 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 my rice. It was almost over. I had five kerners of rice left over. <laughs> I was picking up one by one. And then my sister brother looking at me, uh, I know, it's hard. <laughs> I finally ate the last one. No more mercy. I don't know how I did it. it because my mom had the rice pot. Sign of power. I said, Ma, 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 give me rice. In Korean, Amma means mother. Amma, give me rice. When I said that, she looked at me eye to eye. There was a spark on her eyes. And immediately I turned my eyes to my brother and sister. <laughs> that night, out of fear of death, they all managed to say it. And that's how they are still alive. <laughs> and then the next day, my father went away for a trip. Whenever my father goes away, there was a sense of freedom. It's like, wow. And then that night, my mother, we were singing songs together, and then I don't know what kind of music we were singing. We are singing songs together. My mother started to cry. My stepmom, new mom, started to cry. And so I didn't know why she was crying, so out of obedience to her, I started to cry. <laughs> and my brother and sister started to cry out of fear of death. They started to cry. <laughs> So we all cried, and we couldn't continue the song. And then at the end of the music, my mother said, I know why you guys are crying. I know why I cry. Because my husband rejected me, and I had this, you know, I was divorced, and I had to raise three kids by myself, and look at my hands, you know, I've done everything. I've been to the market, you know, selling everything to try to survive, support the kids. And I tell you, I tell you, I, I've been broken and you've been broken. All of you have been broken by losing your mom and all of us have been broken. And I know that's why you guys are crying. And then after that, this is what she said. I want you to know Song and Dakyun and Heian, those are my brother's sister's name. I want you to know 
that all of us, like a broken jar, our dream has been shattered, broken into pieces. And when God comes into our lives, when God brings a, His master skill of bringing all the broken pieces together with the crazy glue of love. <laughs> I didn't know where she got that idea. I really like that crazy glue idea. And then she said, when God uses that crazy glue of love, putting those broken pieces together and then allow you to be a clay jar again, guess what? You become stronger and more powerful than even before it was broken. You've been broken, I've been broken, and God is going to restore us together. And here I am preaching the message of healing to you today. Amen? He says, we're broken, we're bankrupt, we're bondaged, we're blinded. And we talked about it. Now our limbic system is filled with the memory of hurt and, and setbacks and alienation in our lives. And yet there is a sense of rejection that we may have felt as a child growing up and all that. We talked about that. And then let's continue. And I want to tell you what this means to have a sense of poverty. And if you look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 3, it tells us the poverty is none other than being in a place where your resources for rescue is just wiped out. And that's what it means. It's this is how Eugene Peterson explained it. I really love the way he uh, interpreted it. You know, this is what it says. Those who are poor in spirit, they shall be blessed. But he said, you are blessed. Let's read it together, everybody. You are what? Blessed. When you are what? At the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God and his rule. Amen. Amen. And so being weak, being weak in the Bible, we're going to explain even more. Being weak in the Bible, being poor in the Bible is to be in a place of uh, bankruptcy in that you have no resource within to save what's insurmountable for us to overcome. And in that, all of us are so desperate in that all of us are at the end of the rope. Amen. And then what is the address of God when it comes to you? God's address. You need to know God's address when you call him. Write a letter to him. It's called, there is no zip code needed. It says, at the end of the rope. That's the address of God. When you and I find our marriage, our family, our children, our relationship, our business, and all that we pursue in our lives, our soul, the status of our being, when we find ourselves being in a place of, at the end of the rope, being in a place of exhaustion, being in a place of no more resources available. Hey, hey, are you ready for this? I've been saying all that to just to say this. In that... It is in that desperate and bankrupt state of being. And that's the, that's the place where you and I meet God. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
That's the place. If I had not been broken, if I had not known brokenness in my life, if I had not known brokenness in my marriage, if I had not known brokenness in our children, you see, I started out of this brokenness, I started family building ministry, FBM. It's a nonprofit ministry, which I still been doing. There was a time I did that for five years, going all over the world. And I want to tell you, one day my son came up to me and said, Dad, I know you're doing a family building ministry, but how can you do family building ministry when our family is so broken like this? I said, son, you're right. Only way I can do ministry in a place of brokenness. And when I allow God's calling to live out in my life, in that place of brokenness, I experience healing from God. And I said to my son, son, would you forgive me? Would you grace me to continue this ministry? I need your blessing. Without your blessing, I cannot continue. And my son goes, are you telling me to anoint you today? <laughs> my son is funny. <laughs> yes, I knelt down, son, please anoint me. I need your anointing. Without, without your blessing, I would be a hypocrite. I'll be going around telling something that, that you don't even experience. In your, you know, I go around and talk about my brokenness, my son, and how God, and that's the only place I can meet God, being in a place of brokenness. So let's end with this. This will be a powerful message for you. While we were still what? Romans chapter 5, 6, 8, and 10 talks about our weaknesses, being in a place of weaknesses. We, talk, we said that it is, it is a place of what? A bankruptcy. It is a place of being in a place where you have no more resources available. You're exhausted. And then Romans chapter 5, 6, 8, 10 is really powerful. It says, while we were still what? Powerless, weak, weak, powerless, the same word, astenosis, same word. While we were still powerless, while we were still sinners, enemies of God, Christ died for the ungodly. This is amazing. We are weak, we are sinners, and then it says what? We are enemies of God. So we are weak, we are sinners, and therefore we become wicked. You see how weakness leads to wickedness that we talked about? Yeah, it's right here. Yeah. And so if you do not nurture yourself, we become wicked, right? And But our wickedness is not the cause of the problem. It's the weakness results in wickedness. It is the nutrients that we lack in our lives, spiritual, physical, and emotional, that is causing us to be malnutrition in all ways possible, and then we become wicked. Amazing thing is that this is what, this is what thrills my heart. When God sees me, you see, I am weak, I am wicked, I am sinners at the same time. And yet, when God sees me, even though he can see me as being wicked primarily, but primarily, God sees you and me as being weak rather than being wicked. Amen? Oh, not enough amen. That's disappointing. I, am I the only one who's excited about this message? I know we Adventists, we heard it too long, too much. And we heard, you know, from amazing speakers and everything. And it is the Holy Spirit that must tell us today that when God sees me, He is deeply, more deeply than I am, in touch with my weaknesses, in touch with my vulnerabilities. 
in touch with an area where we do not want to open, an area where we want to hide, an area of shame, area of privacy, area of secrecy, and that's where God is. God is intimately involved in our lives in a way that we have no idea about. God doesn't deal with being facade. God doesn't deal with being fake. God doesn't deal with, you know, you know, masking. God doesn't deal with being superficial. God is a real God for real people with real issues of life. There is no judgment. There is no shame. Well, brokenness is the only thing God accepts. I want you to repeat after me. Brokenness. Come on, brokenness. Is the only thing God accepts. Why? 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 Why brokenness is the only thing God accepts? God doesn't accept anything else. You know that in the book of Isaiah, people bring land, people bring you know, sacrifices to the Lord. I do not want anything else but brokenheartedness. Why? Why? This is what fascinates me about the gospel of Jesus Christ at the core. Why? Brokenness is the only thing we can bring to God. Amen? Brokenness is the only thing God can upset because what? Because that's the what? Only thing we can bring to God. We cannot bring anything else but brokenness. And it is in that place of brokenness we meet God. God meets us and we experience, we start experiencing his killing. And this, when I, when I meditate on this amazing, amazing reality, I had to write it. Brokenness is our reality that cannot be altered by denier or pretense. How many of you are tired of pretending? How many of you are tired of pretending to be fit in? To be accepted? To be approved of? How many of you have a hard time saying no because you are fearful of rejection? Brokenness is our reality that cannot be altered by denial or pretense as much as we want to hide it. It cannot be hidden from God and from other people. You know, other people know better than we do when you pretend. Many times, such denial or pretense can become our own blindness that ultimately bondages us. This all goes in together, working together. Brokenness leads to bondage, and bondage leads to blindness. Then we would be in a place of darkness in terms of who we are, where we are relationally, and what our lives are all about. We are in a place of darkness and chaos and lostness. Such are the characteristics of the one who is described as being lost according to the Bible. God is the God of reality. I'm going to end with this story. Jim Simbala is a famous pastor. He's the pastor of Brooklyn Tabernacle Church who sang at uh, Obama's inauguration. It's a powerful church where addicted people come and be healed. 
is one of those churches I want to visit. And, but his story has not started gloriously like that. There was a time when his father-in-law gave him the church to revive, and church was at a, at a place where a roof was leaking, and yet they didn't have money to fix it. I mean, how worse it could get. Church had no money, and church membership was dwindling, dwindling to a size of like 30 almost in that big church. And then finally, Jim Simbala said to himself, you know what? I'm not cut out to be a pastor. I can't do this anymore. So he ended up, he ended up coming out of the pulpit thinking that this is his last sermon, and he's going to quit it. He's going to end it. So he ended up like pouring out his heart to everybody, to the audience, and he ended up saying that, you know what, I can no longer pretend, and I cannot do it anymore. I can't do it. I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm like, over. And then as he was saying that, his wife was, you know, fell asleep, and then she was a piano, and the organist, she just woke up, and she thought that her husband was making some, you know, appeal or something, and she started playing this, like, funeral song. <laughs> and he was like, yeah, my life is over. <laughs> and as he was mourning about his own despair, and there was a guy way in the back, and raised his hand, and then he was like exclaiming out loud, Pastor, may I come out and tell you something? Well, it's over, so okay, you come out. <laughs> he said, you take over. <laughs> he said, no, 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 Pastor, you don't get it. He came out, guess what he said? He said, Pastor, you're not the only one who can't do it. I've been addicted for the past so many years, and I can't do it either. And then a whole bunch of people with addiction came out, <laughs> surrounded him by telling him that, Pastor, you're not the only one. We can't do it either. None of us can do it. And then the pastor goes, that's why I'm telling you that let's just quit it and let's close the door and it's over or somebody else take over. And then there's one guy who almost quote the scripture left and right. He's addicted, but he memorized the scriptures. He says, he says, you know what? I haven't experienced the power of the gospel yet, but I know the scripture when it comes to this kind of situation. He says, what is it? He says, since we cannot do it, since all of us are at the end of the rope, since all of us are weak and powerless to save ourselves, we don't have any resources that redeem us and rescue us, and only thing we can do, you know what that is, Pastor? I don't know. He said, Pastor, as a pastor, how come you don't know that? <laughs> At least I know it in theory. <laughs> he said, you guys need to come together and start praying. So after that, New York, I mean the Brooklyn Tabernacle Church started a Tuesday night prayer meeting every night. And the girl next door on the bush, cocaine addiction, ended up coming to the prayer meeting, ended up being healed. She became a secretary of the church. 
there's one guy who was also in the another bush and he came out and started coming to the prayer meeting and then guess what he became the the leader of the tenor in the in their choir and then they started to fill up the church like that and they became where they are now and then uh jim simbala wrote this amazing book fresh wind fresh spirit it's a must read book and then this is what he says in this in his book god is what attracted to our weaknesses god is not ashamed God is attracted to our weaknesses as we only open up to Him and go to the Calvary. We'll study more about that tomorrow. And God is attracted. He is coming to you. He's ready to meet you in your place of what? Weaknesses. God is attracted to our weaknesses. Steve Audubon. I mentioned uh, the first day of seminar. He's a good-looking guy, huh? Steve Audubon was a pastor. His wife left her, left him. And so at the end of the rope, he met God and he ended up studying for psychology. He ended up becoming a psychologist and he ended up starting New Life Live Broadcasting Center in California. And now in his woundedness, he began to heal in the lives of people. And this is a famous word that he came up with, which we recited on the first day, right? I am not okay. You are not okay, but it's uh, okay. Because it's fixable in Jesus Christ. Amen? Not only that. Not only that, God uses the wounded to heal the broken. So your woundedness has a purpose in the plan of God. We got to take our woundedness. We got to take who we are, what we are to God right now, where you are now. Amen. And God not only meets us, God heals us. And then let's take a look at this passage. It's really powerful. I'm going to end with this uh, one powerful story. Praise be to the God. Let's read that together. Praise be to the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of what? Compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. In other words, we receive healing in a place of woundedness, and then God uses you as an agent of healing in the lives of people. Amen? Amen. I mean, I can tell you story after story, like how my father's generation, my grandfather had a concubine that devastated the family, the rest of the family hated my father, my grandfather, and when my grandfather had a really perspiring, you know, really prosperous business, and this woman came and took everything, and my father wanted to sharpen the knife to kill her. And one day she encounter, he encountered her. Man, thank God that she knew how to run away. And then out of that, my father became Seventh-day Adventist. To tell a long story short, he became Seventh-day Adventist, and he took care of my grandfather. And then one day I went to Fuller Theological Seminary to do a genogram which is the relational, studying about the relational patterns of our family. I came to realize that, wow, up to my father's generation, there's so much brokenness, so much brokenness. Divorce and brokenness. And then 
my family started to get healed after that generation. My professor, who is deceased now, the you know, distinguished professor on genogram, Dr. Gunzi, he looked at that three generational genogram and said, Who is this man? And I said, That's my father. He said, You owe everything to him. You treat him really, really well, okay? And he said, I will never forget your father out of brokenness in your family, out of the generational brokenness in your family. Your father was the one who started and who became the agent of change in your family. Amen? God wants us to be an agent of change in our family. I'm going to end with this story. Really? Okay, it's almost done. <laughs> I know, like, I know there's a lot to share, but, you know, I want to bless you. I just want to bless you. Like, this is an extra. Yeah. Um, you know, when you go to Korea, they serve you. They serve you a meal. And then the best way you can treat them is to ask for more. Even if you're stuffed like this, if you ask for more, then, then, then they know that you really enjoy their food, right? Yeah, but anyway, so that's why I'm giving you extra, okay? Extra food. <laughs> because even though you didn't ask for more, okay? <laughs> Actually, before you ask for more, they give you, dump you more food, okay? And, and so anyway, here's the story. How God has a plan, even though, even though, I must tell you this, even though the woundedness that you may have to deal with now may not seem to make sense, may seem really unjust and may seem unfair, okay? Whatever you may, wherever you may be. But I want to tell you something. That is that, let's say I get depressed. Let's say I'm a pastor's wife and I'm depressed. How can it be? Do I have enough faith? So Friday we're going to talk about depression and all that. You must come on Friday, okay? Anyway, can you imagine when one person who is depressed, one person who is addicted, one person who is filled with anger to a point where, like, you know, you, nobody doesn't have to say anything, just anger gets escalating and all that. You have all these issues. And one person being healed from depression, then you are instantaneously prepare to touch millions and millions of people. Your sickness is not there to rotten you. Your sickness is there for Satan to allow you to have that, to rotten you and kill you and to be taken away from the sanity of life. But God allows you to have it in your life so that in that weaknesses, he comes and we experience the salvation and his presence in our lives. Not only that, in our brokenness, God heals us and he uses that as an agent of healing in the lives of the whole world. Let me tell you a story about a boy. Let's say his name is John. He is a one-angered boy. If you tell him, if you touch him, he's going to, don't touch me. If you tell him, come and eat, I'll take care of myself. 
and he came, he, nobody could handle him. So they ended up sending him to a retreat center in Seattle. There's a retreat center in Seattle where they heal that kind of children, out of control kids. He came, no one could do anything for him. They could only pray for him. And one day, rain was pouring down like the, like the way it pours down in Michigan. You know, rain was pouring down, and then the boy was gone, and nobody could find him. And then they were just soaking wet, looking for him everywhere, couldn't find him. And then finally, they gave up, and they came inside, and then to Josiah released, and then they were like sitting down and looking outside. And then guess what they saw? What? Underneath of the big tree, there was a boy with the horse. They were like together. And then all of a sudden, that boy said, oh, we found the boy. And then finally, that boy started to come into the house and then just burst the door open. And then he exclaimed out loud. Guess what he says? My horse hugged me. My horse hugged me. And he just streams of tears were running down from his cheeks. What happened was that in that retreat center, they brought the horses that were abused by the owners to a point that some of them, like their skin were chunked off. And, you know, and I mean, you have some horrible experiences that these horses went through, and yet, somehow, someway, God knew how to use the wounded horse to touch the wounded heart of a boy. My appeal to you is that if God could use horses to bring healing to a soul of a boy, God definitely has a plan to use who? Use us. I must end with this quotation. <laughs> I know, when I sermonize, I lie a lot, so. God could have proclaimed his truth through sinless angels. But this is not his plan. He chooses human beings, men compassed with infirmity, which is weaknesses, as instruments in the working out of his designs. The priceless treasure is placed in earthen vessels. Through men, his blessings are to be conveyed to the world. Through them, his glory is to shine forth into the darkness of sin. In loving ministry, they are to meet the sinful and the needy and lead them to the cross. And in all their work, they are to ascribe glory, honor, and praise to him who is above all and over, you know, Overall, your pain, your pain, your suffering, your woundedness in Christ is not pointless, is not meaningless, is not useless. It is something in that very 
place of brokenness. God's salvation begins, and in that very place of brokenness, God's calling begins for each and every one of us. We are not only called to be healed, we are called to heal the whole world through the power of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Amen. Tomorrow, we're going to continue our conversation about the system of the gospel, how faith in Jesus Christ can continue to heal us. You don't want to miss tomorrow. I'm going to talk about the core and core of the issue, okay? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for allowing us to be here, to hear the gospel that speaks to our heart of brokenness, Lord. And you not only are there with us, you have a message of transformation for us. You can turn curse into blessing. You can turn unhappiness into joy. You can turn brokenness into a place of healing where we can mightily manifest the power and the glory of of our Lord Jesus Christ, and may you come into each and every one of our hearts in our place of brokenness. May the healing begins today. Amen. In Jesus Christ, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.